0: Is up. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 Wednesday edition of the show. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co host is Canucks Insider Thomas Strance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I can tell I'm not fully back in the swing of things yet because I was extremely hesitant and uncertain about saying that this was a Wednesday edition of the show. But it is Wednesday, correct?
1: It's Wednesday, yeah. Yes, I nailed it. There you Welcome go. to Off today, to Jamie.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank that's, you.
1: That's really too bad because I'm not on my game either. I was hoping I'd be a passenger on today's show, but I guess not. Nope, sorry. Guess not i'll just hand you the reins buddy (laughs) go nuts all right what are we gonna rant about today (laughs) my friend hey well there's so many options there are can i can i lead us off with something please do i want to discuss the canucks and i know we did it a little bit but i'm glad that you want to discuss the canucks (laughs) that's what we do here avid discussers as uh as uh was it pat morris yeah, I believe so, yes. At the time, commonly referred to as Jacob Markstrom's agent. Before, he was commonly referred to as Bo Horvat's agent. agent yep. And now I guess he's Josh Bloom's agent. So, anyway, uh, avid discussers is, is how he described the the media in this market. And I, I love that phrase to this day. With regards to the Canucks training camp, or sorry, prospect camp roster yes. and some of the invites. First of all, looks like we're going to have one of the, those invites on, on with us perhaps tomorrow. Uh-huh. We're, we're, we're working on it. So stay tuned for that because I-, I love the invites at Penticton Young Stars. You know, one thing that, you know, you think about that tournament and, like, Connor McDavid first wore an Oilers jersey at that tournament. Mm-hmm. He played, like, two shifts and then got smoked by Jake Virtanen. and they were like, nope, done. never, never mind. Done. Um, Leon Dreisaitl played at that tournament. I mean, um, Matthew Kachuk, <laughs> you know, like a handful of the – literally three of the top five players in the NHL right now debuted at that tournament. Uh, In addition to like Mark Shifley, Adam Lowry, new Winnipeg Jets captain, uh, Bo Horvat. I mean, go down the list, but the stories that I love when I think about young stars are things like Antoine Roussel, like Antoine Roussel had sort of been in the coast league and signed a, he was actually an injury replacement in 2011 for the Canucks and just sort of like, ran around, fought some guys, threw some hits, um, stood out, and, and got an invite to main camp, stuck around main camp for a preposterously long time given his lack of NHL experience, signed an AHL contract and sort of peddled that into an NHL career that ended up spanning, you know, 600 career games, uh, over over 18 mm-hmm. million in career earnings. I mean, truly, like, it all, it all sort of got rolling for him. At at Penticton, you think about guys like Troy Stetcher or, or Eddie Lack, right, like uh, sort of unheralded, undrafted guys who debut there and use a, a strong performance there to sort of springboard them into overachieving um, in the early part of their careers, which set them up to do what they've done, which, you know, in Stetcher's case is carve out a seven year NHL career as a five foot eight right handed defensive defenseman. Uh, who was undrafted and signed at the age of 22, I think. And, you know, Eddie Lack who'd played 14 games. Eddie Lack had played 14 games in the top Swedish league before he came over. Like that year he plays 50 plus games in the American League. So I, I like those sorts of stories. I like that part of the Young Stars tournament coming up this weekend at the South Okanagan Event Center. And... I like when I see the Canucks do smart stuff at the margins. We we talked about this a little bit, but I had had some time because if you go to the Athletic right now, Harmon and I have spotlighted ten players to watch at the Penticton Young Stars tournament this weekend. And you know, on the one hand, on the one hand, I'm about to praise the Canucks for something marginal, and, and then I'm going to come back and, and do something else that I think is a is a is a more critical takeaway from that list. I'll start with the good news. So the Canucks have three invite forwards. All of them are like six foot one or or taller. Uh, heavy gentlemen in terms of their stylistic <laughs> play. All of them are right-handed, which I think is interesting. So the Canucks have a type. Mm-hmm. The Canucks very much have a type in how they're filling out their Penticton Young Stars roster. One of the, one of the gentlemen is uh, Jacob myette One of them is Braden Bowman uh, from the Guelph Storm. M- might be one of Vilmer all Rickson's teammates uh this upcoming season uh and and then one of them is um oh my goodness this gentleman dalen wakely and across the board as i started doing my comparables numbers and, and asking around the business those are guys with a shot like those are not standard issue roster fill like, out the roster yeah, yeah like yeah, fill fill out prospect tournament yeah. fodder like th- those are guys with a shot now. You know, in the case of a guy like Bowman, who's been undrafted twice and is now a true CHL free agent, um, you know, the chances are still pretty remote. But if you look through, you know, some of his historical or like the historical comps for how he produced in his draft plus two season in in the OHL, you know, you'll get not just like sometimes you do it and you get like Chad LaRose, you know, and it's like Chad LaRose was a good fourth liner. Like Mm -hmm. no no Mm -hmm. shots taken. Right. Like that's a great career if you if you can get it but like guys like Jamie McGinn like guys who were like middle six guys mm-hmm. power forward types um Jason Dickinson like you'll get real comps when you look at how he performed at his size at his age in the OHL this past season um and that and that goes across the board for those three I like the idea Of sort of, uh, you know, I I compared it yesterday to digging for change in the couch couch cushions. Almost got it right that time. And, you know, I think the Canucks have actually taken a pretty, like, solid approach. Like, this isn't just, again, the prospect tournament fodder that looks like they're kind of playing an angle here. And you know me. I love seeing an angle. <laughs> I love seeing a team be disciplined about playing a long shot angle. So and, I just wanted to talk about that and give them some. And credit. I would
0: connect it to and this is something you and I focused on a lot last year, even going back to training camp, the kind of the strategy of trying to find those value guys. At, at all these different tiers throughout your organization right at the nhl level kind of the fringes but then there's the class of players on the ahl yeah, the, contracts the chase waters types. the chase waters the i think quinn schmieman another one yep. uh, alex kanak leipert yep, right Chad who you're you're taking these smart bets on chl whl players you know you're not committing a lot to them but you're kind of building out that second tier of your prospect depth your organizational depth and i mean this fits into that strategy right try to find those guys get them into your system and it's a volume game, so do it at volume and
1: see if anybody hits. Well, and, and don't just do it like we saw at the draft, for example, when the Canucks made those four or those three fourth round picks, right? And and two of them were like overagers with deeply inauspicious scoring profiles mm-hmm. uh, at the college ranks, and then and then there's uh, Vilmer Ulrichsen, who to me is a little bit different because his dimensions are so profile, wild yeah. that you know it, it's worth to me that's like a higher upside bet, and and I, I I'll stand for something like that all day. But to do it in a way where you're actually, like, counting cards, where you're actually, like, these guys statistically have a shot, I like that a lot better than I like the, we're betting on guys with hockey sense things that, um you know, our, our scouts like them when they were trying to recruit their more talented teammates. It's like, come on. I, I, th- those are the ones that just feel very low yield um this however feels like it's got a shot probably nothing but but what worth noting well and it doesn't expand i mean it does because you only have so
0: many roster spots or anything but it's not you're not using relatively high value draft picks Mm. on it right it's it's as close to free kicks at the can as you get in the nhl so why not
1: do a bunch of it why not take those shots right for sure and and then the other part that i wanted to quickly talk about is you know i think the Canucks are going to win games at this upcoming tournament because they've got an older team than, mm-hmm. than you know, most um, and and guys with real professional experience, guys who played together and have some built in chemistry like I would expect in this unstructured environment that a group of, you know, 22 to 24 year olds who have actually played a, a fair bit of HL games and have played together a fair bit will will trounce some of the guys who are directly out of college and or, or still major junior and headed back to major junior. Um, which, you know, is how most of these teams, best players anyway, are, are composed. The the rival teams. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look up and down the teams that they're facing. And it really does emphasize something I've been trying to talk about a little bit, which is the sort of path forward. Because, yes, now granted, Ratu's not playing, right? Le not playing. Tom Volander's not playing. Yeah. But even if they were, the upside on the other three Western Canadian teams' rosters relative to Vancouver's prospect system as a whole, because those teams also have guys who aren't playing, but like this is the leanest prospect system in Western Canada. And, and the fact is, is that the Canucks also have had the least team success over the last five years. And that's a frustrating mix. Like we're going to see Sam Honzik, mm-hmm. but it's not just Sam Honzik, it's also Coronado. Right, it's also Samuel um, or Etienne Morin, right? Like it's also Jeremy Poyer. Like the Flames aren't exactly a well-stocked prospect pipeline either, and yet you know, Ratu versus Coronado, not not a hard decision for most industry evaluators to tell you who they prefer, right? Hanzik or LaCeramaki, likewise. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a quick conversation. Um, you know, the Jets are loaded like Lambert, Lambert Barlow, Barlow. Yeah, I mean up and down like there, there's a bunch of guys who are really interesting playing for that Jets team. And then I don't know how the Oilers are so loaded, but they, it's, they haven't traded many of their firsts. So you've got like Xavier Borgo and then and then, you know, you've even got that Russian winger who's a Josh Bloom's teammate who's like outrageously productive and also six foot two. <laughs> and it's just like, man, like that guy's turning pro this year. Like, if that guy was coming to camp with the canucks to the with the canucks this year at the age of 20 right like the way we're talking about Josh Bloom and we talked about him a little yep. bit yesterday if that guy was coming to camp with the canucks this year i'd be like that guy's a dark horse to make this team yep you put up those kind of numbers in consecutive years at the ages of 18 and 19 in the o that catches my attention yeah and i think i mean what we're seeing here in the
0: comparison is that the strategy canucks management has really taken with the prospect pipeline and I, I think they would probably admit it it's a it's a necessity but they've, they did choose to deal away high-value draft picks, and the strategy they chose to compensate for that, right, was more volume with lower upside players, right? Mm-hmm. Just inherently, when you're going after you know, Max Sasson, Akito Hirose, Philip Johansson, Niels Amon, right? Like, all of
1: that well, is and, and we're going to try to
0: make up for it in volume.
1: And more NHL-ready players, yes, right? Exactly. Like, Hirose is 24, and takes up a contract slot. Now I think Hirose is totally worth a, a roll of the dice based on his, you know, elite NCAA form, not to mention what he did thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cole McWard would maybe be the better example because he's not likely to contend to make this team this year. Right. But you have a 21 year old taking up a contract slot as opposed to a 18 year old draft pick. Mm-hmm. Right. And granted that guy might slide and you might not sign him, but you know, the, the comparison remains. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting. It just feels age gappy to me, you know. Sure. Like it, it feels like a tough way to try and catch up, as opposed to you know one of those things where you you can't just be driving. You have to check the rearview mirror too, right? Um, the low upside plays or high volume of low upside plays is what lets the Anaheims catch up to you. I think it's it's something that's worth pursuing and they probably had
0: to pursue it but it's 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 not going to compensate for high volume drafting in the in the first 3 rounds. You know what i mean? It's not yeah. going to make up for having a deficit of draft picks in those rounds. Or
1: yeah, or just amassing picks and then and then using those yeah, exactly. to do all, all kinds of business because you know, at the same side everything at the same time that we say this, the other side of the coin is like why has Edmonton made so many first round picks? Yes, yeah. Why <laughs> like are they doing that? Like in retrospect, we'll be like, wow, the Oilers made four of five first round picks and smack dab in the middle of McDavid and Leon Draisaitl's prime. And yeah. I think they should be rightly criticized for that.
0: Especially when you look at, uh, I want to move on here just a second, but especially when you look at the impact that Eckholm had for them right away, it's like, you, you know, you could just go do more trades like that. Yeah. I know there's salary cap things going on, but like that guy was amazing for you. Go, go do some more of that to help you out right now. Um, good players are, are <laughs> yeah, good are players. Good to help have. a lot. Yeah, uh, I did want to play this. It's not the most ground uh, breaking audio from Pat Brisson, but given the the situation surrounding Elias Patterson, the perceived stakes about his season, oh, I think it's, it's. So I thought this was more interesting. than Okay, you did, well, no, 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 but it's not. It's you wouldn't call it groundbreaking. Uh, but it's I interesting. Call, what would I call groundbreaking? I'm playing it. I'm playing it. I'm, yeah, I enough. think it has some interest. I think anytime Pat Brisson speaks at this point, basically, even if he says nothing about Elias Pettersson, like, if he's pointedly saying nothing, that's interesting in and of itself. I like right? that. So, that's a good take. Um, this is from the uh, the Athletic Hockey Show podcast. Pierre Lebrun, Michael Russo talking to Pat Brisson. Uh, and we'll play Lebrun's question and then Brisson's answer on uh, where things stand with Elias Petterson and the Canucks right now.
2: This one doesn't have the same level of urgency because he's got another year in his deal, but given the market that's involved and the passion in Vancouver, a lot of people wondering about Elias Pettersson, yep. his next deal. Uh, I know there have been some conversations with the Canucks this summer, or you can set me straight, but what's your sense of where that's headed? It sounds like maybe Elias wants to be patient.
3: Yes, he doesn't want to be patient. He's excited about the upcoming season. He's excited about how things are um, going uh, You know, recently and he wants to absorb and make some decisions probably towards the end of the season and see how things are going to go. He's still a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So right. It's not like he's a UFA. So uh, he's had an amazing summer, he's ready to have a big year, and then we'll take it from here.
0: So as I said, not necessarily new information, right? Kind of echoing, I think, what the prevailing sentiment is, what we've heard from Elias Petterson himself, uh, a
1: desire to be patient. And we'll see where things stand at the end of the year. So I don't think what was said was necessarily groundbreaking, but I would dwell on the way it was said, right? Pat Brisson, if you go listen to that full podcast, right, he's asked pretty complicated questions Mm -hmm. about things like how you balance long and short-term contracts and, you know, risk for players in an environment with future cap uncertainty. And he's like very quickly and, with the polish you'd expect from, you know, the the first NHL agent to have ever have total client earnings over a billion dollars, um, you know, basically runs an arm of creative uh, creative artist agency. Um, you know, he he speaks with in like. He speaks staccato, he speaks quickly, he speaks with polish about things like deltas and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um and balancing yeah, cap all these percentages complicated things. and the risk and all that yeah. And then all of a sudden he's talking about Petterson and and right at the start of that clip you can hear it he's like uh he, you know and he starts picking his words close like very carefully and he says you know he's been happy with the direction and then he stops again pregnant pause recently. And I think there's something there. I'm not saying there's something we should make a, a mountain out of but just you know on our way to understanding why because the other part that was interesting was what lebron said you and the, Canu- the canucks talked this summer about an extension correct me if i'm wrong and of course brisson declines to do him. so yeah so i think if there i think there's fascinating subtext maybe it's not cracking the ground <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to uh, be something you need to avoid so as to preserve your mother's back. Uh-huh. But there is a fair bit of subtext there. The the suggestion from LeBron that, like, you guys had talks with the Canucks and then Pedersen decided to pull the plug on negotiations this summer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Brisson declines to do so. And then in discussing Pedersen's overall posture says he's been happy with the direction of the team, dot, dot, dot recently look that I think does aid to our understanding of exactly how high the stakes are for this team and and where the situation stands which I'll reiterate again despite you know I'm sure the reaction that some of this commentary is going to uh, create in our inbox which is like I I don't think it's fair to go as far as to be like Pedersen's future is murky but there's something going on it's not a great sign for the team that they're not locking him in yet Mm -hmm. and in fact won't have an opportunity to really lock him in until after this season. Yeah,
0: it's inherently stressful to have that uncertainty, right? Even if, again, and I made a a similar point on Monday, right, when we were talking about this, but even if you think there's a very, very high chance that Elias Pettersson re-signs here on a, you know, minimum midterm to long-term deal... The fact that there is the uncertainty is just, that's stressful. When you're talking about your, one of your best players, one of the best players at his position in the NHL at the age he's in, that's inherently stressful. And, you know, it's not even just stressful if it's about – Will he will he want to stay here or will he want to go somewhere else? Because the other thing that does kind of stick out to me about Paperson's answer there is he's had an amazing summer. He's ready to have a big year and then we'll take it from here. Right. Because it's not just about does he want to sign in Vancouver or does he want to go elsewhere? It's also about what's the number? What are the terms? And as much as we can say Hey, you do the deal with whatever it's going to cost to get Elias Pettersson done. Of course, you do. He's that good. You don't worry about overpaying your stars. You would still rather have them on a more team-friendly deal, right? You would much rather have Elias Pettersson on 11 million a year than 12 and a half or 13 million a year or something like that. Now, that might be a, a very difficult threshold for him to cross, right? The numbers I just threw out there, but you know, we had a question come in in the inbox earlier. You know, hypothetically, if Petey pops off for 120 points, you know, as a selkie finalist, Canucks make the playoffs. What does that contract look like? And those are all high bars to clear, very high bars to clear. But I well, wonder, I wonder how much that enters into it from Pedersen's perspective. They are, but they're also not unrealistic. No, no, exactly. Right? They're high, but they're in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Like that's 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 a potential list of criteria that he could meet. And then, yeah, you are talking about a much uh, a, a much different negotiating stance for Elias Pedersen, I think. And I do wonder how much is of the patience is reluctance to be in Vancouver long-term, or at least, you know, I want to be patient making that decision, and how much of the patience is I'm going to bet on myself to do it again, and then I'll be in a much stronger negotiating position, right? And both things should give the Canucks
1: pause and should make the Canucks a little bit nervous. Well, I think you used an interesting word in in introducing – you sort of your take on this, and and that's the word stressful, right? Mm-hmm. There is value in cost certainty. Huge value. Especially given this organization's repeated insistence that, like, we believe and have faith and, you know, just oftentimes, like, we've, we've been in press conferences multiple times where Alvin just starts listing the core. Now, occasionally it's changed, right? Bo Horvat used to be listed regularly, and now Heronics often listed, right? I mean, it, it's changed a bit, so... Uh, you can take some of it with a grain of salt, but like very regularly uh, after the trade deadline, Alvin will do the Miller, Demko, mm-hmm. Hughes, Pedersen, Horonic, Kuzmenko. I believe in these players, right? And they, and they just list the guys. Well, in a hard cap league, right? Having cost certainty on your best players it is enormously helpful in figuring out how to surround them efficiently with a championship-caliber supporting cast, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, as we all know, is the task at hand for Canucks management. So having any sense of uncertainty, for sure, is stressful in terms of stressing the organization's ability to fill in those gaps effectively. And that's why, you know, I also,
0: this idea that the decision on Patterson is more about, oh, well, he's going to see how this season goes and then sign a long... It'll either be a long-term deal or a shorter-term deal, right? And that's kind of what he's being patient about. I've never really understood that because I think from the Canucks' perspective, and maybe they weren't interested, maybe they are holding out from... Uh, for a long-term deal, right? But if there was a, you know, a four- or five-year deal on the table, especially a five-year deal that takes you to Elias Patterson's, you know, 29, 30, age 30 season, like, if that was a possibility, I think they would have done that this summer just for the certainty it provides. So, I don't know. I mean, I the more you hear about the desire to be patient, as you said, there's something, there's obviously something there. And it's not fair to turn this into, oh, it's a, it's a coin toss or he's probably going or anything like that. But I also think you have to be realistic. Like there's obviously something, there. there's something real happening here that is going to create, it's going to keep the situation on the front burner uh, for the remainder of the season, right? Or until, until it's resolved one way or another, it's going to be on the front burner.
1: And when we keep hearing comments like this about the desire to be patient and everything like that. <laughs> No question. And as we learn in drips and drabs, right, how this decision came about, including, you know, what, what I would consider to be certainly a new suggestion by LeBron and and, and a very weighty non-correction by Brisson um, in, in the notion that, hey, like they talked this summer. It's not like PD came out and proactively decided he wanted to be patient. Mm-hmm. There were conversations and this was the outcome yeah uh, and it's
0: fascinating to think about what the uh, content of those conversations might well, have and been.
1: I, I presumably we'll hear more about it when uh when Alvin and perhaps even Jim Rutherford uh discuss the season mm-hmm. and the state of the team prior to the campaign I, I would expect we'll hear from everybody next week so uh you know we're we're getting pretty close not just to hockey being back I'll be in a rink on Friday by the way I'm very, very excited exciting. about it very N- not to quickly change gears but also you know, some we'll probably get some substantive updates, uh, likely from Canucks management and, and probably from Pedersen himself. Well, next week's big, right? Because it's the it's the Milford Golf Tournament, where typically
0: you give the that's, players that's where speak. that's where Pedersen's gonna yeah talk. players speak to the media for the first kind of official time. I know there's these these chats happening out at UBC right now, but it feels a little bit more weighty and
1: official when it's at the Milford, One. right? And it's a little more controlled out there. Like the players don't have media obligations mm. during a captain's skate, yeah. You know, they, they just don't like the the fact is, is that once you get into training camp mode, right, the, the NHL CBA applies in, in a in a different way. And and players have obligations to speak enforced, like with the power of the weight of the CBA through the media broadcast access policies like they don't right now. And so we haven't heard from Patterson out there. Mm-hmm. I suspect we'll hear from him on Monday. Like, I don't think we hear from him before then. No, it maybe I'm be. wrong. Uh, I would think Monday, but you never know.
0: We'll see how it plays out. But anyways, next week should be very interesting on that. front. Anyway, that's why I'm not at the captain's skates. So I hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will take a break. Uh, we will talk to one of our favorites, Sean Gentile from oh, The Athletic. Let's go. Next. What are, what are we going to tears? I don't know. What tears are we I leave that to making? you, usually. Yeah, I'll, I'll come up with something we by you the You think end of, the of the something quickly, yeah. Uh, we will do that next. It is Canuck Stock, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kentech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are going to be joined uh, by Sean Gentilly from The Athletic here
1: momentarily uh, to talk about some league-wide stuff. I'm reminded of how impressed I am by how efficiently you delivered Dumber dumbar Lumber. Yeah, which never feels no, it's easy tricky. to say in my in for me. Like when I say it, it's always a struggle. You just nailed. I uh, I, I had some growing pains. <clears throat> yeah, I think everyone at the station did, to be honest.
0: <laughs> so I distinctly remember talking to some other hosts. I was like, "Ooh, that's a tough one." Did you say pasta or pasta? I think pasta. Pasta. Past. So I have to, like, think about it, you know what I mean? But pasta. Right, okay. Yeah, yes. dra- drama, not drama. Or do I say drama? I don't know I'm a,
1: I'm a drama guy, and I'm a pasta guy. Because that's it, pa- that's traditionally the more American way of saying things, Wait, correct? Pasta? Pasta. Well, pasta is how, like, the Italian-Americans do it. Okay. But, but I'm so pretty I'm, sure I say pasta. So my wife's Italian, and when I first met her family, I was still saying Pasta. Pasta. Uh-huh. And, um, You've been converted now. Well, no, they all like, made fun of me. Like I, I was ruthlessly called a manja cake and, uh, and all kinds of things, uh, the sorts of insults that Dan Riccio throws around. And so I had to convert. And, and when I converted, I'd get stuck on the emphasis of pasta salad. So, like, for a couple of years, I'd have this problem where I'd be like, hey, do you want some pasta salad? <laughs> and people would look at me like I was... Like I'd grown a third head. uh the important thing is peer pressure works. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's very important to fit in with your in-laws. It
0: is you gotta you you gotta uh you gotta be willing to bend a little bit uh for your in-laws. uh 650 650 is the Dunbar lover text line. Uh, Keith the Water guy says we were talking about Petterson. No one has talked about how Pedersen might not be happy about not being picked for the captaincy. I'm not buying that one. I, I'm not buying that. He was there. He's supportive. I, like To me, it seems like he's in the perfect spot as a member of the leadership group.
1: I, I, it might have been a relief.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, now joining us. We'll ask us, him about
1: it, though, at some point. Yep.
0: Yeah. Now joining us on the line, as I said, uh, one of our favorites to talk to from The Athletic, he is our guy, Sean Gentili. What's going on, man?
3: Nothing, boys. Just taking a break from uh, preseason content. Yeah. Getting all that together. Very always Starting exciting. Scintillating. Plans um starting at the bottom and working my way up and I think I'm on the flyers right now you can tell that I haven't been working (laughs) (laughs) well uh,
0: before we get got into uh hockey stuff I did want to ask you about the Steelers uh obviously you're a Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. guy and I I have a confession to make which is that whenever the offensive coordinator for the Steelers comes up Matt Canada and people are always furious Mm -hmm. at him for what he's doing with the Steelers offense quite rightly by the way I feel like a, a, a genuine sense of embarrassment that he shares the name of our country. Like it makes me legitimately like, I feel bad. I'm like, Oh, that's embarrassing. that he has the same you, name. You feel everyone like it's, hates him. You feel
1: like it's our country. That's responsible. Yeah, like we're, for letting, just, we're letting the Steelers down, just sending Pickens on clear out routes and never using him. creatively.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I blame you guys too. Yeah. I was like,
0: I'm, <laughs> no. I was like, I'm glad that you came on the show, given that you have so many reasons
3: to be mad at Canada. Well, so Sean's a, yeah, you guys are going to have me on and, talk about running jet sweeps with calvin austin in the third or whatever whatever
1: nonsense we saw yeah i mean mean, i'm happy to talk about that the uh the well sean's a patriotic american right and and so i am curious to ask him this which is completely unrelated to our show and and then we'll get down to the business of tearing something or drafting something but um if the if team usa is so shell shocked by dylan brooks that they have to call the state department and naturalize Joel Embiid. <laughs> Isn't that like a significant national embarrassment, Sean?
3: This is the cycle with, uh, <laughs> with, with USA basketball. Like, I mean, you guys, you guys benefited from it. Like, congratulations. But it's like, it's like, there's always one tournament where not enough guys show up and they get embarrassed. And then, it's like, all right, all right, that's that's enough. It's like, like LeBron, like yeah, LeBron and Anthony Davis are like, ah, we're gonna play in the next one. And Joel Embiid's like, I'm American now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like they've 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 hit the emergency button, and yeah, you go, like I said, you guys you guys benefited from it. And I, I watched. So much more canadian national team hoops in that tournament than i have in my life up until this point i mean it was it was a, it was a blast Man, it was enjoy funny. it usa basketball it probably actually, not gonna laugh on that one they, they,
0: actually, <laughs> they actually have it down to a science like send the d team to the tournament you guys don't care about and then everyone gets ticked off <laughs> and angry and then they're like all right i guess we'll go to the olympics and show everyone that we're still the best it's a great system
3: <laughs> yeah it's like I mean, congratulations on beating up on Walker Kessler, but now it's time to now it's time to deal with some of the big boys. Yeah, hey, uh, Sean. Here's
1: another thing that I I always note: Team USA, regardless of sport, seems like it really struggles in bronze medal games. Like bronze medal games mm-hmm. are the Achilles' heel of American national teams. Whereas like for Finland, like never bet against Finland in a bronze medal game, right? Like they're they're always going to win. They're always going to medal. Um wh- wh- what do you think that is? Is that like the downside of American exceptionalism?
3: <laughs> I was going to bring the up only American downside. Exceptionalism. Instead, I'll, I'll bring up I'll bring up one of the best examples of American exceptionalism, which is Ricky Bobby from Talladega Night. <laughs> I think it's the if you're not if you're not first your last yep. situation where it's like, Well, we're we're not we're not winning this one. Time to time to time to lick the stamp and, and put in <laughs> and, and put in the mail. Game over. All right, let's get
0: this. Uh, let's get this back on the rails, back on hockey here uh, with Sean Gentile of the Athletic. So I know you said you're, you're just on the flyers doing your preseason content, your deep dives and all of that. So you haven't worked your way too far up the standings yet, but just kind of preliminary thoughts. I mean, we're still trying to digest and, and forecast what the Canucks could look like this year. Do you see reasons why this season could be different for the Canucks than the past few have been?
3: I think you know. I was just talking to Halford Bruff about this uh, last week. I think a full year. I, I I know too much is on Rick Tockett's shoulders at the moment, right? I think a lot of people are, you know, a, a lot of the improvement that people are, that people are or aren't forecasting is based on the coach. But I think that's I think that's reasonable to an extent. I, I think you know. A full year's worth of what that dude brings to the table, you know, and maybe some of the culture change stuff that seemed like that, that seemed like it was necessary. I, I think I think that could help, you know. I I don't I don't know the 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 Canucks and I'm, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Just year after year, they're that they're like who knows because because they play in 15 game chunks, right? And you don't know if, you don't know if you're gonna get the good ones at the at the front and then have that set the tone or, or, or whatever. They're, they're, they're baffling to me year after year. And I, and I know, I know, you know, I, I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be making a more obvious point given the, given, uh, given the crowd here, but it, but it, it's true. They're, they're tough to figure.
1: Sean being Pittsburgh based, what, are your observations what what were your observations when rick talk was an assistant coach there how important was he to the success of that organization and, and the high praise you just doled out to him like what's the basis of that um can you help our listeners yeah. understand
3: i think he's really good at dealing with star players i think he's good at dealing with skill players i mean he I, i'm sure everyone's tired of hearing it but it's true you know the dude was the phil the phil castle whisperer here like he was the go-between between Phil and and Mike Sullivan, who is you know got some di- diametrically opposed personalities there, I would say. So you have you know not just not just uh, talk at being able to reason with the stars, but also kind of being you know being able to reason with the head coach. So I, I think he's got uh, a personality type that appeals to a lot of different players because he was a, he was a, a dude scored a ton of goals. He mm-hmm. he was a star but he also was 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 a physical dude and a grinder and he played for a long time and he was a young player and I do like he's he's a, got a personality type I think that appeals to a lot of people uh and I think that was that's kind of that was always the big takeaway you know with with, with him here right was it was that you know Mike Sullivan's not not the easiest dude to deal with I and mean, he's not easy on players and I'm I'm not saying Rick Talk it is but I I think he's got a set of people skills that you know were on display pretty uh, pretty regularly here
1: with a couple of other Canucks players big acquisitions this offseason they'll be they'll be familiar too to close observers of the Penguins and and you spent a lot of time around that team covering that team uh what can you tell us about Teddy Bluger and Ian Cole what what are reasonable expectations that Canucks fans should have for two of Vancouver's key unrestricted free agencies uh, signings this offseason?
3: Teddy Bluger's all defense very little offense he's like he's a He's a, a a niche player. He's good at what he does. He's gonna go days, weeks, months without you know being able to find the back of the net. But he's also gonna be able to eat some toughs. He's pretty good at faceoffs. You know, you can throw him to the wolves in in the defensive zone and a, and have him acquit himself pretty well. Uh, he's he's fine. He's a he's a fine guy to have around. Ian Cole, I don't I don't totally know what he's got left in the tank at this point. I, I think. You know, he, he's another one. When he was here, Sullivan—he clashed with Mike Sullivan like severely. Mike Sullivan benched him for you know weeks on end over you know, basically media stuff, right? So if, if you want to look into how you know hard and, and 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 tough Sullivan can be, and sort of the maybe some of the the rough edges that Tockett helps help, help smooth, smooth out, Ian Cole is a is, is a great example of that right? Ian, like, like Ian Cole is, is in Vancouver willingly, you know, after having a pretty brutal end to his career in, in Pittsburgh. And it's like, well, why do you think that happened? Probably because he has a great relationship with pocket, right? So he's a dude who's, you know, he's capable, capable enough. Third liner He's he's uh, he'll be, he'll be a great quote. He'll he'll be on your guy's show and, 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 and be transfer. He'll be, he'll be a, he'll be a go-to dude for, for your, for you in the room and, I think uh, I, I think that's, you know, the top of the list stuff for him, at least.
0: Well, one of the things with the Yann Cole acquisition, I mean, the Canucks have been looking for, you know, Quinn Hughes, he's so good he can play with everyone is what we say a lot here, right? And he's had success with uh, Luke Shen. He's had success with guys that they've called up from the AHL, but they're trying to find a partner for him that can – you know, maybe help elevate that pairing as a whole. Mm -hmm. I I think there's at least a chance that Ian Cole or a pretty good chance, to be honest, that Ian Cole starts the season playing alongside Quinn Hughes. Do you see him at this point in his career as a tier above, you know, for example, a a Luke Shen or does he more kind of fit into that mold as look, Quinn Hughes is it's still going to be an example of how Quinn Hughes can have success with anyone if he's playing with Ian Cole.
3: I think he's a pretty low-risk player at this point in his career. I don't know if you could have said said that about him before, but he also, you know, he has he does have experience playing playing with uh, maybe not, you know, he wasn't getting minutes with Chris Letang or anything like that in Pittsburgh, but he was playing with some at, at times with with some more offensively minded guys. So I, I think at this point he's a smart dude. I think at this point in his career, and you know, I can imagine him uh, transitioning and in, into a guy who can, you know, maybe. Sit back, let Quinn be Quinn, and also also con- contribute there at, at some point. I, I think it's fair to say that he's, you know, in terms of what you would need uh, from a partner for Quinn Hughes, I I can look at him and say, yeah, he's probably a rung or a half wrong above above where Shen was for sure, just because of the mobility, right? Mm. Like he can he can still he, he he can still skate a little bit, and he cer- certainly can skate better than Luke Shen. Yeah.
0: Uh, talking to Sean Gentili of the Athletic here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty, um, you know we're getting into that stage where we start to really dig into the Canucks divisional opponents as well and you know looking at the Pacific division look it's the the Sharks and the Ducks pretty much everyone i think is going to have at the bottom of the division and maybe that keeps them out mm-hmm. of the you know strongest division in the league conversation but i look at the rest of the division outside of those two the rest of the Pacific and i feel like it could stack up to be a very very difficult division uh, to play in this year do you agree
3: I agree, um, but uh, you know, I, not to gloss over what's said. But you know, I'm, what did I say? I'm on the fourth or fifth <laughs> team from team from the bottom here, and I've already done two Pacific teams. Yeah. So I've, so I've like gone, I've you know gone through the nitty gritty on the Sharks and the Ducks, and those, those teams are horrific, right? So, so what you want to see always in, in situations like that is just fatten up on those guys while you can, <laughs> if you can, if you want to. It, it, you know, whatever you deal deal with Vegas when you have to, and deal with, deal with LA when you have to, and Edmonton and whatever else. If you can handle business against, you know, because you got a lot of games against Anaheim and a lot of games against San Jose, and, and San Jose, like whatever, like this isn't a spoiler. You know, we have them as the worst team in the league, and, and probably by a pretty comfortable margin. right? So you can you can fatten up on those guys and just kind of deal with the big boys when the, when they come across your desk.
1: Sean, just to change gears and, and talk about the big NHL news of the week, what was your reaction to the Lafleur Babcock out of Columbus <laughs> occurring prior to the preseason even beginning?
3: Oh God! Uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> what I can say on the radio here. Um, um, I don't. Were, were either you guys surprised to, to hear that? Like, what, like, regardless of whether it was you know, misconstrued or there's a game of telephone going on, like based on everything that we've seen from like Babcock, at least over the last five or six or seven years, you know, you hear that something like that might've happened and you're like, okay, that checks out. That makes sense. That's something, that's something that a person that just doesn't quite get interpersonal, like interpersonal interaction would do. That's a, Hmm. that's a weird thing that a weird person would do. And I think above, above everything else, you know, I yep. think it's safe to say based on how things ended in Toronto, that, that dude has some, some, uh, some amount of issues, you know, in the way he deals with with, with other people at this point. So I, I wasn't all that surprised, but I'm also not surprised that it was maybe something that he thought was less weird than it actually was. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. like, I can imagine him, him sitting down and being like, Hey, this is, this is, this is great. I'm going to connect with my players. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you pictures of their wives and kids and, girlfriends and vacations and whatever else but then when it actually happens and and when it actually goes down and when these dudes are actually sitting across a desk from him at potentially you know asking asking to go through their phones or whatever you know it's possible to take things a little bit differently like there there are there are plenty of people who are going to hear that from their boss and be like ah uh, no that's weird like i'm not i'm not going to show you my vacation pictures that's a line that I'm not comfortable crossing. So I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that at minimum there were some wires crossed, whether and how it went down or how it was communicated to the guys on checklists or, or, or whatever. I'm not surprised it happened. I think maybe I'm surprised that we're talking about it on, you know september 13th or 14th yeah. year that's probably that's probably the big the big takeaway
1: well yeah i mean you know me i'm always trying to put things into tears or think of things that we can draft on the radio mm-hmm. sean and i was thinking we could draft ways of asking to see the photos in someone's <laughs> phone that demonstrate that i respect your boundaries and then i was like oh wait that's going to be the shortest draft ever the only way to do it is to like actually follow the person on instagram or something
3: I like it's totally. It's one of those things where like, if people offer you photos, if they want to say like, "Hey, I went to I I went I went to Copenhagen last month. You want to check this out? My Mm. photos." You say, "Yeah, dude, great. Let's see." Like that's something that, and whatever. We're getting maybe a little too high minded with this, but like, that's kind of something you earn. Like you earn the right to sit to sit through someone's phone and go through pictures of their kids or their vacations or. Or, or or whatever. There, that's a level, not maybe not of intimacy, but like that's a level of of uh, of, of friendship or, or personal connection or whatever that you don't just stumble across with the dude who's who's your coach that you met, you know, 15 minutes before that. That's a that's a that's a big ask. And I think that sort of, again, to circle back to what we said before, I think that's. Kind of what it's indicative of even even if he did have the best intentions, it's it's a weird thing to ask, and it's a weird thing to expect people to be okay with. I
0: think you just need to give people some warning, right? Like I can, I can imagine a world where as like a team building exercise, you're like, Hey guys, we're all going to get together yes. and choose four pictures mm-hmm. of your summer yep. or something important to you, your family or whatever. And you just tell us about it. Right. And, but like advance warning right. so you can edit like, and select, right?
3: Guys are, if, if, if you sit down and he's like, Hey, let's, let's go through your phone. You're going to be like, okay here's one that I'm okay with. This is like a, this is like a vacation picture. Like, uh, here's, here's one of my kid, like, I don't, whatever. I don't, yeah. I don't know you that well, man. Or like, here's one of me and my wife. I I, I don't know. Like, Here Here's like a screenshot
0: like, of a, of a, 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 a bad tweet that I sent to my group chat. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't always, want, I don't want that in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: Here, or just like, here's, here's just like random, random BS that flies around in, in, in the group chat. Right. Like, I I don't know. Oh, like whatever! Like, like, what if these guys had had, had like random? How how crazy would that be? If they had, like random pictures of Babcock on <laughs> on their on, on on their phone that they were throwing through the throwing through the meme template on on GroupMe or or, or something. this then, then stuff really would have hit the fan.
0: Oh man! Uh, okay, before we let you go, Sean um, Duvis with the Penguins has he's had the off season. He's made a fair number of changes. How uh, what are you what are your expectations for the for the Penguins for the season? So
3: we just we had we just had to update. So for our, so for our season preview stuff, at the athletic, it's all kind of filtered through Dom Luschi's you know net rating model and, and the. Oh, and we, the we just call it Dom's
1: model on this show. You're, everyone will understand what you mean. In fact, it's a
3: long running <laughs> joke. I like I you know what I always I always like saying his name just because it's just to show off. Like, <laughs> I, I know how it, I know how it's pronounced, so I want everybody to know that I know. Yeah, you want to mix um, in a
1: consonant salad? Cool. <laughs>
3: Yeah, can I? May, may I please by a vowel? Yeah. Um, he he's got the he's got the Penguins right now as a 97 point team. Yeah, up from you know an 86 projected last year, and I think that's a significant jump. And I think that that's you know uh, that's a testament, not just to going out and adding, adding Eric Carlson, because you know it's a that's whatever a, a five star you know high profile move it's about going out and realizing what part of what that team's other problems were last year, which it wasn't just offensive generation on par with Eric Carlson. It was having competent forwards in the mix and having, you know, being able to throw out a fourth line that, that wasn't going to get you killed. And I think that that's a big part of what Dubis has done aside from the Carlson stuff is adding dudes like, you know, Noel Achari and Lars Eller and like names like that that are that are nothing special. They're they're fringe NHLers maybe in in, in some points, but they're also better than what uh, Pittsburgh manager roll out there for most of last season. So the end result there, yeah, is you know, if, are they going to be a hundred point team? I don't know, but I but you know, I'd be shocked if they weren't fully in the mix. You know, at the top of the wild card picture, and/or you know, maybe third seed in the in in the Metro. I think that's well within reach based on the work that they've done this year.
1: Our regular listener and compulsive bad take haver uh, Tanbeer has texted in, vouching for Penguins plus seven fifty to win the Metro division. And I'll be honest, <laughs> as 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 sick as it makes me to my stomach to think, hey Tanbeer, you might be onto something. One thing I like to do when looking at an NHL offseason is simply follow like which teams actually added a no doubt yep. about it impact top of the lineup mm. guy. And as I'm thinking about it this season cuz you know, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to describe like a Tyler Bertuzzi or a, or a JT Comfer that way even though I think they're very good players. The two teams that stand out to me are Pittsburgh and LA. Like those are teams that added mm-hmm. real top of the lineup difference makers and and I won't be stunned if those are two of the most improved teams in hockey your thoughts
3: yeah and they didn't neither of them add it wasn't just adding talent or skill or salary for the sake of adding it right they had Mm. specific needs this goes for the kings too where they were still you know good as good as to and kopitar were last season they needed they needed one more center and they're a high-end you know point-producing center, and they're they're betting that Dubois is is that guy. There's worse bets to make, right? So they added talent, yes, but they added it in the right spots, and I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, especially now when it's September and Camps haven't started, and if you're looking for value in, in that in that type of thing, if you're whatever d- divisional winning bets and, and, and all that stuff, I think that's a reasonable thing to consider.
0: Sean, appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, enjoy the preseason work, and uh, again, on behalf of Canada, I apologize for Matt Canada. <laughs>
3: It's okay. We'll get you back <laughs> real you. soon there, boys.
0: Have a good one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That is Sean Gentili of The Athletic joining us uh, to weigh in on a number of different things, including Mike Babcock. And this text comes in. I've been married 36 years, and I'm not comfortable with my wife going through my phone. Yeah, I don't know. It is uh, – it doesn't – it's the kind of thing where it doesn't sound like it was done maliciously, but it's just – I, you know,
1: Sean used the word weird. That's probably the best weir- word to describe it. It's just weird. Yeah, it's just I, a weird thing. I just know, like, do you really want to sift through all my losing same-game parlays? Like, you can. <laughs> Absolutely not. You can. Just, like, I don't know why you'd want
0: to. Uh, we will take a break. We will get back into the uh, Canucks-focused talk with Brendan Bachelor, our guy, another one of our favorites here, of course, the voice of the Canucks. He joins us next right here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
3: Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans, the People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Stock Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, and we are now very pleased to be joined on the line by our pal, our colleague here at Sportsnet 650, the voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650. He is Brendan Bachelor Batch, what's going on, buddy? How are you?
2: Not a whole lot. I'm just uh, scrubbing my uh, my camera reel on my phone in case Barra <laughs> demands to see my photos the next time I'm in the office. He's
0: notorious for that. <laughs> absolutely, he's absolutely notorious for that. Uh, I would like to see Barra try. That would the the revolt it would provoke. <laughs> the revolt it would provoke around here would be would be something to behold.
2: Um, I mean, Cam's a pretty trustworthy guy. He might be one of the few guys that I would be like, you know what? Yeah, fine, sure. Have a look. I don't mind
1: did you really fail to get that guy to trade you Brees Hall for Jordan Love? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) Uh, So that was your puck
2: score yesterday. Like, come
0: (laughs) How does it feel to be back at the rink batch? And if I'm not mistaken, you're calling a game. You're calling young stars on, on Friday, right? You, you must be pretty excited.
2: Yeah. Just over 48 hours from being back in a booth, back in a rink with a real game. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's, the Young Stars is always um, its a great way for many people to kick off the season. For a play-by-play broadcaster, it's challenging because there are lots of players that you haven't heard of before or you know, free agent invites, guys that have played junior that aren't part of teams that you've got to go and, and do research on. So in fact, the three Young Stars games are probably the most prep work I have to do all season long. So it's a good way to like knock me out of the summer and get me right back into mid-season mode, realizing that I've got to prep for, like, 100 players uh, over this weekend coming up with three games.
0: I I don't want to make the the informal skates that I know you've been at at UBC, I don't want to make them into anything they're not, right, or more important than they actually are, right? This is pretty typical, guys warming up, getting ready for training camp, but, you know, has anything stood out to you? What's the vibe, the mood, the feel around the skates from your perspective so
2: far? It seems like a pretty good vibe. It seems you know, more workmanlike and less sort of relaxed and casual as years passed. And you would certainly hope that that's the case based on, you know, the emphasis that's going to be put on the start to this season. Now I'm not trying to sit here and say that like, you know, these guys are going 110% in their skates out of UBC, but you know, the fact that so many of them were back early, that basically the whole team was skating, that they were in two, Uh, different practice groups last week. I think that's a good sign that the message that Rick Talkett has been trying to send about buy-in and about having a strong summer and coming into camp ready, you know, at least at this point appears to have sunk in and and hit home with some of these players. Now, uh, you know, we'll get a a real answer to that question next week in Victoria when we can sort of judge the intensity of training camp and and see how guys have responded in that regard. But that's sort of how I'd describe you know, the few days I've been out at UBC is good attendance, the fact that they actually uh, are allowed to have coaches on the ice this year, which hasn't been the case in the past, so that they're more structured practices. It's, it's you know, less of sort of all over the place like they sometimes are if they don't have a coach running it, uh, I think has, has made it seem more business-like and more workmanlike, and hopefully for the Canucks' sake that translates into a good training camp and a strong start to the season.
1: It's interesting, Batch, because there was so much talk down the stretch of last season about the big summer, right? And, you know, you sort of look at it in its totality and there was the uh, early offseason fine, which ultimately spurred uh, a change between the NHL and the NHLPA, which has permitted these captain skates. You know, there was talk about veteran players coming back and summering here and leading skates with, uh, with you know, their teammates, which which didn't really happen until closer to when we'd traditionally expect players to arrive. Um, you know, training camp was originally five days. Uh, I see it's been rescheduled today to, to be four days. In a lot of ways, it does seem like some of the limitations... Uh, of the NHL system of the club's facilities kind of gotten the way uh, of, of sort of the big summer promise. And yet, you know, you, you see that they've been in two groups for 10 days here. Now uh, you see the way that guys like Philip Peronik and, and Andre Kuzmenko look coming into this season. And, and it still looks like they achieved it despite all the complications. Uh, what are your thoughts on how it's played out given all the talk in the spring?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest issue that that has been a hurdle for them is the facilities one Mm -hmm. where they don't have a practice facility at the moment, although, you know, it may be in the works, it may be ending up at SFU, who knows where it ends up, but that's something that most of the other teams in the NHL have that they don't, um, you know, the ice is usually out at Rogers arena for most of, if not all of the summer, um, so it's not like they can come in and skate in the game rink and we know that rogers arena is one of the busiest buildings going in terms of the number of concerts that they have through there as well so there isn't really a home away from the game rink for this team uh you know ubc has has become that sort of out of necessity rather than it being an actual practice facility and then you know, on top of all of that, the Labor Cup is in Rogers Arena this uh, coming week, I guess it is. And so that has um, prevented them from being in the game rank as early as they might be. You know, there have been years past where they've actually run training camp. In Vancouver, that's something that wasn't an option this year. There's still lots of work going on in the building, plenty of upgrades. You know, the, the new scoreboard, which I know has been talked about. But, Drancer, we were in there for the, the press conference for the Hughes announcement the other day, and it's clearly like there's still a lot of work going on in there. So, you know, I think the organization needs to get through this period where they're upgrading their building, where they're finding a practice rink, where they're getting all these things settled, and then a lot of these inconsistencies around the team can become more consistent, where, hey, we've got this practice facility. It's there for guys to skate on in the summer if they want to. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have the, the game rink available. There won't be as much construction going on in it so that we can get into that arena earlier. Right, The, the labor cut this year specifically means that the Canucks are starting with all their road games in the preseason first and then the back end of their preseason schedule is at home. And then, of course, we know they're playing one home game and then going out on the road again early in the regular season, which is also a challenge, and it's also part of the reason that they've struggled out of the gate over the last few years is they haven't really been at home much early in the season. So, you know, these are things that organizations have to go through or they have to upgrade things. You know, they need to get their practice facility. They need to do the work on Rogers Arena as a, you know, nearly 30-year-old building now. Uh, and once they are able to do that, you hope that this could be sort of solidified so that it gives the team, you know, the coaching staff, the players, the staff around the club the best chance to do their jobs to the best of their ability.
0: Well, I, you know, you you connected it there to the the issue of a good start, and I kind of wanted to follow up on that batch because we tend to talk about the bad starts of the last couple of years as you know failings on the part of the players and the coaching staff, and I'm, I'm not excusing them from accountability, but does the all of the things you're just talking about, right, the facilities and the training camp stuff, does that play a bigger role in how the team starts than you know maybe we tend to give it credit uh, for over the last couple of years?
2: It's a part of it. I don't know if I would say it plays a bigger role than we think because at the end of the day, when the schedule comes out at the start of the season, some teams get to start at home. Some teams have to play on the road. Some teams get a bunch of cupcake matchups early. Other teams have to go through a grind of playing a bunch of the top teams in the league. Like, that's the way it's always going to be. It's just in recent years, some of these off-ice things for the Canucks have meant a road-heavy schedule early in the year or have meant, you know, not being in their arena at certain times. And that's where having a practice facility, having a routine. I think routine is probably the, the optimal word here. Um, and, you know, we can even see it from covering this team in the media. Is You know, sometimes they have a practice at Rogers Arena. Sometimes it's out at UBC. We've even seen them at eight rinks in the last few years. Um, nothing has seemed consistent in terms of, uh, okay, it's an off day Monday. We know where they're practicing. We know when they're practicing. We know what's happening that hasn't necessarily been the case over the past couple of years really since the pandemic and you know that's not just going to impact us as media members trying to figure out whether we have to go to ubc or eight ranks or rogers arena on a monday morning to cover a practice um but it's going to also impact the players in terms of having a routine having some consistency in the way they prepare and then also because the team has struggled there's an inconsistency in personnel so Travis Green was here for a number of years he did things a certain way then Bruce Boudreaux came in suddenly the practices were half an hour earlier The morning skates were half an hour earlier in the morning now Rick Tuckett's come in they don't come in quite as early in the morning anymore so you know if you I guess all of this is to say that all of these factors play a part in it but at the end of the day it's still the players on the ice that have to get the job done And if they win games, if they have success, if they can perform well, then, you know, coaching changes like that won't happen as often. Things will remain more consistent and then give the organization some time here to work on their facilities and their setup and things will improve going forward. But, you know, I wouldn't say it's a major factor in why the team struggled, but I think you'd be foolish to say it hasn't played a factor at all.
1: Batch, can I throw you on the spot to play a game with me and Jamie? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do, and we're gonna give you as our as I, our I'm guest. I'm being thrown on the spot too, by the way, Batch. And, well, so don't you worry. know what? It's, no, we're gonna do we're gonna do a okay. one round draft, okay? And I'm gonna go first, not not to be selfish, but to give you guys the template of of how the game works. Okay, ready? All we're right. gonna do a one round draft, so we're all gonna pick one. And here's here's what we're gonna draft. We're gonna draft training camp battles we're most excited to watch play out. Over the next three weeks, and 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 here's the structure of of what you draft. So you pick like a a roster spot that you're that you're picking, and then like Mm -hmm. contenders and a dark horse, right? So, as an example, J T. Miller centering the second line, Mm -hmm. right? Who will his wingers be? This is my first pick, and I'm trying to go like outside of what you guys might pick, so that so that you guys have material. J T. Miller, who will his wingers be? Contenders, Brock Besser. Phil DiGiuseppe, Giuseppe, Connor Garland, and I'm I'm going to go with dark horse Vasily Podkolzin. All right. Ooh. I'm really curious to see who Miller plays with and I'm really curious to see what sort of opportunity Vasily Podkolzin can earn. Can he maybe earn an opportunity higher up the lineup with, you know, that new dad's strength than he's had previously? That's my that's pick number all one. All right, all right. Let's kick it to Batch. Batch to go second, yeah, you though.
0: can go second here. Your your training okay. camp battle. You're excited to watch.
2: I'm going to take the obvious one, which is Quinn Hughes' defensive partner mm-hmm. on the top pairing. Uh, I'm going to go Ian Cole as a left shot who can play the right side. I'm going to go Carson susie mm-hmm. also as a left shot that can play the right side. I think you have to throw Tyler Myers in there just sort of as a a default. If nobody else wins the battle, then Mm. Tyler Myers might be the guy that's there. And my dark horse is Noah Juleson, who I think fit there well in stretches last year. And there is an an open battle right now, I would say, for the, the sixth and seventh spots on the blue line for this team. If Juleson is a guy that can beat out the likes of Jet Wu or Akito Hirose or whoever else you might want to put in that conversation, Matt Irwin, Christian Willannon, to get on the roster and into the top six, then I think there is a a non-zero chance, let's say, that he spends time on Quinn Hughes pairing and might spend more time than
0: people expect. I like it. I like it. That is going to be a fascinating one. I'm going to go to the top of the lineup as well, and I'll, I'll frame it this way as who's going to play with Elias Pettersson or Andre Kuzmenko, and I say that knowing that I don't know that Kuzmenko is guaranteed a spot mm-hmm. next to Elias Pettersson, but it's a safe assumption. Though. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a yeah. it's a pretty good chance that the you know that third pair that third spot on that line is up for grabs, especially given the uncertainty with Ilya Mikheyev, and so I would throw the contenders in there. I would say Brock Besser's a contender. I would say Anthony Beauvillier is a contender, and in the dark horse, I'll throw Niels Hoglander as a potential contender in there to get some uh, some juicy top six minutes. But I mean, that's fascinating not just because you get a top six winger, someone's going to be a top six winger, but the potential to produce in that spot in that spot is enormous as well. And you didn't include McKeever as a contender, but I. Th- D- doesn't he belong there? He does, but I'm, I'm thinking just because of the injury factor. Right. right. So he might not be ready to go for game one, so they might have to go somewhere else there.
1: You know, and I probably should have included Pearson among my contenders for Miller line mates. Now hearing you list that group and thinking about it, I should have, I, I, I messed up on mine. Do you want to go another round? Because I, I think there's more. I think there's more. What do you think? Sure. Sure.
2: Let's do uh, it. You go first.
1: All right. I'm going to go with the battle for the sixth defenseman on this team right sure, because i sure. think we feel pretty confident based on cap hit salary experience um you know prestige in the nhl that myers cole susie heronic and quinn hughes in some combination are going to be this team's uh you know on this team's roster on opening night in the lineup health permitting for all of them the sixth member however is it you know still in I think, a a fair bit of doubt, as as Batch alluded to with his inclusion of Noah Juleson uh, quite sharply, I think, as a potential dark horse candidate, not to just be in the lineup, but to maybe be caddying Quinn Hughes on the ostensible top pair. So the contenders here would be Juleson, Matt Irwin, Guillaume Brisbois, Christian Wolanin, Akito Hirose, um, and, and I suppose you'd probably have to throw in... Uh, at least one more guy who I'm forgetting, and I'm trying to rag the puck while I, <laughs> while I come up with the name. <laughs> Phil Johansson. Um, no. Jack Rathbone. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. So, Willannon, Juleson, I Jet Wu was the other mm, name I was looking for. Yeah, Akito Horose, Guillaume Brisebois, Matt Irwin. So a six man battle. How do you guys handicap that? Batch let, Let's. Uh, let's pause the draft briefly. How do you, how would you yeah. handicap the crowded battle for the sixth spot on Vancouver's opening night blue line?
2: Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, I think Irwin is going to be on the roster, mm. but I don't know if he's going to be in the top six. Like He, to me, seems like a guy that is the perfect number seven, where he's 35 years old, he's a veteran player, he can jump into the lineup when you need him, and he can play in certain spots, you can use him on different pairings. I don't know if he's in the top six, though, I would say that Christian Willana might be the front runner yep. right now. Just because of the puck-moving ability for what he showed last year in, in the opportunity to get into the lineup. Like, if, if I'm, as of right now, let's say we're skipping preseason, we're skipping training camp, we've hit fast-forward and the first game of the regular season's tonight, and you're putting me in Rick Tockett's shoes to pick six defensemen to play, Milan is the guy I'm putting in on night one, and then you'd go from there and see. But, you know, that, that's how I look at it now. But I think Akito Hirose certainly has a good chance to be there. I already alluded to Noah Julson. It's entirely possible that Irwin himself actually does start the season in the top six. So, uh, you know, the, the battle is going to be fascinating because I don't think it's obvious. Um, But that said, I I think it probably will be Willana, or at least that's how I would handicap it right now.
0: What's your next next training camp battle you're going to pick?
2: I'm going to look at the backup goaltender. All right. uh, Because we know that Spencer Martin uh, had some struggles last year, but not necessarily in a backup role. It was when he was thrust into a more serious role as a starter slash co-starter with Colin Delia when Demko went out. Obviously the other contender there is Archer Seelobs. And there there aren't really any dark horses in terms of who could actually be the backup goaltender at the start of the year short of like catastrophic injury and two goaltenders being hurt and someone else having to be on the roster. But I am incredibly intrigued to see Nikita Tolapilo mm-hmm. see how he performs in camp, see whether he can you know, force himself into the conversation as the starting goaltender in Abbotsford or at least take starts away from Seelogs or Martin, whoever ends up uh, out in the Valley with the AHL team and whether there could be more of a conversation this time next year about where Toma fits in the organization. Because I like what I saw from him at Prospects camp in the summer. Obviously, he's got the size. He had a great year in the uh, Alsvenskan last year in Sweden. Ian Clark's very high on him. He's going to get an opportunity to learn and grow playing North American pro hockey this year, whether in Abbotsford or Kalamazoo, or I guess potentially getting into games in Vancouver if things go haywire in the crease. Uh, So it's not necessarily a guy that's a dark horse in a camp battle. But I would say he's a dark horse to maybe have to suit up in an NHL game this year if things go sideways in the crease.
0: Yeah, and I think the goalie situation, like the other dark horse is, you know, uh, some sort of hybrid backup split between Sealock yeah. and, uh, and, and Spencer Martin. Um, okay, my last pick, and uh, again, I'll be careful of how I frame this. I'm not going to say who gets the bumper spot on the power play. I'll say who's the fifth member. Of power play one, because I think we could see a bunch of different guys rotate through different spots, but I feel very confident saying Hughes, Miller, Pedersen, Kuzmenko, four of the five on power play one. Who gets that Bo Horvat spot, the fifth spot? Obvious contenders Brock Besser, Anthony Obovillier. Those are the two big ones, I would say. I mean, I know I've heard people talk. Could they use Philip pronic on power play one? I don't think that's going to happen. But he should be I included. put that in a dark horse. He should be included, uh, I think. But that's the that's a fascinating one. What for about me. Garland?
1: Garland, I would put in the dark horse can't really category. Yes, Tockett used him a lot on the power play in Arizona. Yeah, that could be an interesting one. And is going to be managing it himself. This to me is actually the most interesting one because, oh, all in, right, in yeah. some ways, it's not a battle. In the way that it's, like, tested five times, six times a period, right? Mm -hmm. And the spotlight on the performance of the power play is so bright. Batch, how do you handicap that? Let's uh, let's give you the final word, and, and thank you, my friend, for playing along with my latest bizarre idea.
2: No, I liked it. It was good. And I guess Jamie wins the draft with the last pick for having the most interest. Yes. That, that often happens. That's like,
0: uh, that's like Dan Riccio picking Puka Nakua in our fantasy draft somehow.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, when it comes to looking at this power play, I mean, I would assume that Besser is probably the more likely candidate at this point. I would like to see heroic there. Um, it it might be a, a dark horse kind of thing, but with the shot that he has, you know, understanding that he has the ability to quarterback a power play too. So obviously Hughes is going to do that, but you've got another guy that's good at moving the puck has a good shot. You know, I I'd like to see that, but I, I would assume anyway, that Brock Besser would be the, the sort of front runner to have that opportunity off the start. I guess it sort of depends who you're putting where, like if we're talking about net front, you know, do you have to talk about Tanner Pearson as an option there too? Cause he's played the net front yeah. in the past. Um, that's sort of going to depend on not just what Rick Tockett thinks, but what Daniel and Henrik Sedin and Sergei Gonchar think, mm. because they're going to be involved in the power play. So we might see some, some things that we're not expecting on the power play because there are a few different cooks in the kitchen this time around, but I would imagine the best is the front runner. And then you have to look at other skilled guys that could contribute like Niels Hoaglander, you know, could he be in the mix to be in the conversation there? I think Garland and Beauvillier are, are both good suggestions as well. And, um, there is also the possibility that they try to spread their top guys out over two units to, to mix things around a little bit more rather than you know, loading up one power play unit, which is not the way I would do it. But I think it is a possibility based on the number of options they have in terms of how they want to set up their power play.
0: Uh, Batch, just before we let you go, can you confirm you are the uh, you're the last word on P- Canucks player pronunciations? Can you confirm that okay. it is puce? Puse. Puse. Yeah. All right. There yeah. we go. I wanted to get that on the record. All right. Batch. Appreciate it, man. Uh, can't wait to hear your call <laughs> of the Young Stars. It, uh, it doesn't feel like hockey season until I'm listening to you on the radio. So I'm excited.
2: Sounds good. It's good to have you guys back on the radio as well. It helps me get through my game day prep all the time. So all right. keep up the good work and we'll chat again soon. Thanks,
1: buddy. I- I'm crushed, by the way, that it's a far less Pope like pronunciation. On Sooner's oh, name boy. than I'd hoped. Good grief. <laughs> all right. pious. Yeah, no kidding.
2: That would be good.
1: Bye, Batch. Talk to you later. Just had to throw that one
0: in there before we let Batch go. Yeah. Uh. <sighs> Far less Pope-like, indeed. <laughs> well, there's lots of Pope Piuses. There are, yes. That's yeah. true. It was a very popular one yeah. uh, back in the day. Uh, all right. We they got needed
1: of... numbers and everything. People
0: love line, like training camp battles potential line combinations, power play configurations, all of that. And I have to say, I love it as well. We got lots of good texts coming in uh, on that point. Some questions about training camp battles as well. Final segment coming up. uh, You can keep sending yours in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will dive into that and more on Canuck Stock here on Sportsnet 650. Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at com. We were talking about, uh, well, we were drafting, not just talking. No, it's much fancier than that. We were drafting uh, training camp battles that we're excited to watch when the Canucks open training camp in Victoria
1: next week. Speaking of Canucks training camp, by the way, yes, I, I believe there's some Canucks adjacent NHL news. Oh yes, I'm just making sure to confirm it. Yes, the Coyotes are bringing Oli Yolevi to training camp on a PTO. Good for him. I've got to note it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Did he? Where
0: did he play last year? Um, let me see. Detroit. All right. Eight games for Detroit 38 games in the AHL with the San Diego Gulls Uh, there you go going to the Arizona Coyotes on a PTO do you expect to see a PTO for the Canucks by the way it doesn't
1: feel like it at this point like we're getting p- pretty late yeah and I mean the there has the been, there's been a flurry this 12. week 12 PTOs I don't know I didn't actually count but it looks like it yeah I think that's pretty close ten, ten, at least 10 so um yeah I mean I just they don't feel light
0: on bodies you know what I mean? Even no. like we, you listed, what, six plausible candidates for the sixth. Talked about the winger glut a lot, right? Like they've got a lot of bodies at Abbotsford. I don't know where that spot you would look at and say, yeah, we can get a PTO who has a legit
1: chance of making the roster. Yeah. Know? And you've got, you know, you've got 46 guys under contract. Only a few of them like are sliding or are not here. Guys like LeCaramaki, mm-hmm. right? Um, Valander types. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think the, I think be consistent with naming Hughes captain proactively, right? To have like this really focused, like, hey, we're going to get down to our numbers fast. We're going mm. to really focus on having a good start. We're business first, this training camp. Like uh, to me, that would make sense if you don't complicate it Yeah. with a PTO. On the other hand, you bring in a PTO and then some of those, preseason games you're able to send the guy as opposed to a more veteran player which is valuable it makes it a little easier to manage especially like that early season one especially that calgary game or like the the game in seattle preseason games you often send an inferior squad on the road because it's not your fans Mm -hmm. and your season ticket holders who are paying full freight for that ticket that you want to entertain so i i could absolutely see um the value in bringing in a pto
0: and and yet the first preseason game is on the last day of training camp, as well in Victoria, which is a little awkward. So I could see you would love to have a couple of PTO veterans potentially descend to that one. Oh, I mean, who
1: knows how they'll handle that one? But uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard much in the way of rumblings. But I, I suppose comes in. How is the PK not picked for the draft? He says it
0: can't be as bad. As it has been in the last few seasons, I don't know
1: how much of a sorry of let a me, personnel battle there's going to be. Let on me the bring PK up though. one name though. Let me bring okay. up one name that would interest me oh, for who, a PTO? Remains, okay. who remains a free agent, and I'd be curious to see if he like it, it can go late with a guy if they remain unsigned. Oh, he has a PTO invite already. Never mind. Okay, forget it. Give, give us the name. It was going to be. One name that I'd sort of look for because he's familiar to, uh, you know, Penguins Brass, which of course uh, make up a heavy composition of Uh of the Canucks current management group, and he's local. So uh, that to me would have been one that made sense, but he's going back to the team that drafted him on a PTO. So anyway, worth watching unfold as, you know, the weeks progress During the preseason. Uh, Anyways, this text, how is the PK not picked for the draft? It can't be as bad as it has been
0: in the last few seasons. There's no doubt the penalty kill is going to be something. It's not so much of a training camp thing because there's only so much you can really glean from how it's going to perform at training camp. But I don't know how much of a like a lineup personnel battle, it's going to be, right? I mean, they brought in a bunch of guys who are going to be fixtures on the penalty kill. There's no mystery about the fact that Teddy Bluger is going to be a huge part of the penalty kill or Ian Cole or Carson Soucy. You would expect to see a pretty heavy dose of... Certainly JT Miller, probably Elias Pettersson, maybe in slightly reduced minutes, but I think Elias Pettersson will feature heavily on the penalty kill as well. I guess once you get down a little bit, you start talking about, you know, can Dakota Joshua and Niels Amon earn Rick Tockett's trust? And does that give them an edge on getting into the lineup every night? But it just feels like... In terms of who's going to eat the bulk of the minutes, the bulk of the shorthanded minutes for the Canucks this year, I feel like we have a pretty good idea already of, in an ideal world, who that's going to be. It's going to be a lot of the new additions and the mainstays from last year, too. Well, and
1: So, I don't know that a lot of <laughs> had all other Canucks defensemen by 30 minutes, 30 minutes, four on five, mm-hmm. after Tockett and Foot took over the penalty kill. Do you know who it is? Who? Tyler Myers. Yeah. So, you know, as much as like, do you really think they're putting Susie Cole out there as, as like the top, like first guy over the board, first, pe- first minor penalty of the year? So, uh, assuming Myers doesn't take it, <laughs> do you really think it's going to be Susie? guys uh, that's what i think i would think myers think and cole i would that's just a guess right on now, their but, strong yeah. sides right yep. and then and then like hughes with the other one on on the right side i mean that to me would be how i'd sort of handicap the front runners but you don't go from leaning on a guy that much more than all of his teammates to not having that guy be at all a part of your penalty kill. like myers is going to be a factor for sure well and, and, I, and by the way so were petterson and miller that's the thing right because they were leaned on as well and they might eliminate their role on the penalty kill and they scored an, they a wild yes. amount of goals like the canucks penalty kill was productive like genuinely productive in terms of being a offensive threat for the canucks once talk took over last season in fact you know i think if you just isolate like talk it only coached what thirty ish games or, or something like that. I mean thirty-six games. Um so the Canucks played thirty-six games under Rick Talk. You look at penalty kill goals for um you know, only the Minnesota Wild and the Edmonton Oilers scored more shorthanded goals than the Canucks did in Rick talk. It's thirty-six games. Just isolate like they scored twelve goals in thirty-six games shorthanded. That's an unreal number. Only the Wild and the team that employs Connor McDavid, the best against the grain attacker in the history of the sport, sorry, Pavel, scored more. Yeah.
0: It's wild stuff. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So they're going to feature into it. So, yeah, I mean, like the texter's point, of course it's going to be a talking point and something to watch. But, again, from a personnel perspective, I'm not sure how much, uh, how much drama or how much uncertainty there's going to be Uh, Kevin from Calgary texts in, why would Wolanin play with a healthy D? The org clearly aren't the biggest fans with him being in the AHL until it was absolutely necessary to bring him up last year. That's from Kevin in Calgary. And that's an interesting point. AHL last year, but it did take him a while to earn that call up. Now, having said that, He also acquitted himself really well at the NHL level under Rick Tockett. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody who's been able to change how the organization looks at him, at least a bit, but who's been able to improve his standing with the organization. And there's a very clear path and a very clear need for his skill set in this lineup, as we've talked about. So I think that, for me, kind of outweighs what. Christian will uh, starting opening night with Tyler Myers on that, on that third pair potentially. I don't think that, that, that experience from last year is going to prevent him from doing so necessarily.
1: No, I mean, here's the thing to remember, right. Is we all get excited about the young guy with potential at training camp, but you know, the NHL is not like the NFL. Right? Where like rookies come in and just destroy mm. right off the bat on an every year basis. Like NFL players are drafted at the age of 22, 21. Some are drafted at 25, Yeah. Right? Whereas NHL players are drafted at 17. I mean, even for an Akito Hirose type, you know, who is at the age where he might be drafted in the NFL, every year these young guys who don't have the NHL experience come in. And, you know, I don't want to be as dramatic as like have their lunch, you know, money stolen by veteran players. Pretty much that's what happens, right? Like guys who are regular veteran NHL players are so, so good. Mm -hmm. They're so, so good. They're so, so fit. They're professional athletes and they're experienced professional athletes. And it shows when a guy doesn't have that same level of runway. Now, we saw Hirose whole. like, very much look the part in seven games last year. But at the end of the day, if Hirose and Christian Willannon both start the season in Abbotsford next year, who do you think plays more in game one under Jeremy Cullen? Wolanin. It's no contest. Not close. Like, the team's going to be built around the fact that you have Christian Wolanin, the regular, like, a regular contender for absolute best defenseman in the American League. Like, so you have to remember that and, and remember that it's instructive in terms of how it'll actually look once, you know, scrimmages become intense. Once the competition ramps up, once teams are in preseason mode and, and sort of late into the preseason when veterans are really trying and trying to get their legs and, and the competitive intensity, um, you know, sort of crescendos. Th- that's when a player like Will going to separate himself. That's when, you know, the, and now Christian Mulan, and because of the
0: pandemic and everything, his games played as a pro isn't as high as you would think, considering he turned pro in 2017. But he's still played 86 games in the NHL and another, you know, 150, something like that in the AHL. So he's got a fair amount of pro experience. And that gap between, you know, just the pro experience between him and Hirose, that matters, right? That matters a lot when uh, you're trying to break in, break camp with a team and earn the trust Of a coach. And again, it's not as if he's, you know, it's not as if he's just the reliable veteran, but has a huge puck skill deficiency when compared to Hirose, right? We also saw that he can really credibly move the puck and do things like that. So he checks both of those boxes. And uh, I think that's what makes him a really interesting candidate to start. The season with the team three putt Shane, as we continue to dive into the inbox, uh, training camp questions, looking ahead to training camp, getting going next week, you can text yours in 650, 650. Uh, a perennial question or a version of a perennial question. Anyways, three putt Shane texts in who's dropping the gloves on this team. Who cares about lines? Lines are switched throughout every game. That's from three putt Shane. I always frame it. I'm not concerned with who's dropping the gloves, but I think it's absolutely fair to be concerned about overall team toughness and especially team toughness at the top of the lineup, right? Because you can fill in the gaps in team toughness at the bottom of the lineup, or you can, but those aren't the guys who are playing big minutes in key situations for you, right? So, you know, who's dropping the gloves? Not the way I would frame it, but is this team tough enough? Is this team physical enough? I think that's a very fair question. And who steps up in that regard
1: is a very fair question going into training camp. Well, you know, it is in some ways, but also it's worth noting that the Vancouver Canucks had the fifth most fighting majors of any NHL team last year. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this team was... Unwilling, but I think that that gets to the difference between. And
0: b- by the th- way, they're, they, they're separate questions, right? Who's willing to drop the gloves, and is the team like? Do you have people who are willing to drop
1: the gloves, and are you a tough team? Are different questions. Absolutely. Well, for sure. I mean, there's no question about that, uh, especially because you know, for example, would you call the Canucks a f- tougher team than Vegas? No, of well, course they, not. Well, they fought twenty more times. Yeah. Right. Um, would you call the Canucks a tougher team than Carolina? No. Because Carolina had the fewest fights in the NHL, um, LA, no, also barely got to double digits in fights. But whereas, like the Canucks, the Wild, the Flyers, the Senators, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are all between thirty-four and thirty-seven fighting majors assessed last year, the sixth, the, the Canucks are closer to number one than they are to number six. Like mm-hmm. they're really in a gap of, or in like a group of five teams that that fought a lot, that, that fought a fair bit. Um, J.T. Miller fought multiple times. Right? He fought Kempe. He fought Susi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, they had Luke Shen last year, which which mm-hmm. caused their numbers to swell a bit. Kyle Burrows was, Kyle sometimes Burrows. seemed to be looking for fights. Sheldon Dries dropped okay. the gloves. Sheldon Dries might be the best middleweight in the league. She was fantastic. Dude is tough. And then you've got Dakota Joshua. Um, we've occasionally seen Tyler Myers drop the gloves. So, you know, for me anyway, this is not something that... I think the Canucks should be too worried about. Um, they definitely lost some of that, like, policeman work ethic when they lost Shannon Burroughs, though. Like, that is a gap that I think is what, in part, this um, particular texture is responding to. Like, they don't have a guy who the moment someone, you know, looks at Elias Patterson the wrong way is going to jump them. is is looking to go out there and do something right and right? and, and Burroughs would like you know Austin Watson would take a run at Patterson and like miss narrowly and Burroughs would run up to him immediately and drop the gloves not easy to find guys who perform like that right who who have that mentality and I don't think the Canucks have it um, it might have to be a guy looking to make their stamp on this team who takes on that role like that might fall to a Noah Juleson. That might mm. fall to, you know, one of the, the depth players we're talking about um, who wants to stick around. You've also got Ian Cole, who's not who hasn't fought a ton. Uh, you do have Carson Soucy, who, yeah. who, who drops the gloves a couple times a year. So, you know, I, I they're going to have to do it by committee because they definitely don't have, you know, a Shen type heavyweight or frankly, um, you know, a um, Burroughs type welterweight. They do have Dries though, and I called him a middleweight, probably a flyweight. Yes, but in man, the NHL, yeah. But man, he is like pound for pound, Sheldon Dries has got to be one of the ten best fighters in this league. But That's I would awesome.
0: happily trade, and I don't know if it's going to happen. I would happily trade, you know, dropping down to the bottom of the league in terms of fighting majors for an increase in overall team toughness and being, you know, quote unquote, the great cliche hard to play against being genuinely physically hard to play against, right? Like being tougher in front of the net, having more guys who are going to the front of the net and scoring from those areas, having more guys who are really tough and physical in the corners like that, that version of toughness is such a bigger priority. Now, I know they went in, they brought Ian Cole, they brought in Carson Soucy, like they tried to address that size on the back end. And I think that'll help. But again, for me, when I'm when I'm looking at the forward group, it's not so much that I'm worried that, you know, will Dakota Joshua drop the gloves more? It's are they just hard enough to play against physically? Are they physically tough and physically hard enough? Uh, to play against going into this season. And somebody texted in, you know, those teams don't fight as much because they are team tough. They almost don't need to go out and kind of performatively be tough by dropping the gloves. It's like Vegas just knows. Yeah, we're really tough. We we don't need to fight. We're just, we're going to be tough. Shift in,
1: shift out. And that's what
0: I want to see eventually. That's what I would love to see eventually from the Canucks.
1: Um, Jesse, by the way, from Bear Mountain asks, why is no one talking about Philip Johansson? And... You know, we were talking about Philip Johansson before he showed up, right? And then he showed up in the American League and they really were reluctant to use him. Mm -hmm. And granted, he'd never played on the North American ice sheet, but they were in the playoffs. Like, if he'd shown up and looked like a guy who could help them win at the American League level in the playoffs, he would have been thrown into the mix immediately. I promise you that. Like, no hockey coach watches a guy in practice, sees him crush it, and says, oh boy, I better scratch that guy until he adjusts slowly. <laughs> and then when he's in the lineup, I'm going to play him very sheltered third pair minutes, right? Like they gave Philip Johansson a taste. They didn't look at him as a guy who was ready to help them win. Well, if you're not ready to help like that, the AHL well, and win. this And this goes back to forget what they say, look at what they do. Like that to me is the data point that mm. causes, and it's not a fade. Like I haven't seen him play live yet. So I don't actually have a take on Philip Johansson Whatsoever, But the only data point I really have to go with is he showed up for the Calder Cup playoffs following a really successful season over in Sweden, and he wasn't thrown into the fire. And so it's hard for me to imagine that he's going to win a camp battle against... You know the best defenseman in the AHL the last two years, and Christian Willanen. You know a, a player like Noah Julson yeah. who I think has flashed a, a, a long time Harose, NHL vet, Like Matt, Irwin, Matt right? Like yeah, Matt Irwin, who played sixty games last year for a team mm-hmm. that outperformed the Canucks, right? Like, there's that. That's stiff competition for a guy who wasn't ready to play like a meaningful role in the AHL. So that to me is why Philip Johansson's sort of down the pecking order as we handicap training camp battles as we anticipate what the team might do and yet for all of that like for him especially it's pretty much a fresh slate like yeah they saw him at a few AHL oh, practices yeah. in a couple games like he could come in and be the standout at penticton and from there have some you know wind at his back like i remember yeah, it's not like they're out on him because of that last year it's just like hey it's not the right time no. right now and, yeah and truly don't ignore this upcoming weekend for providing some data on stuff like this like the very first, I think it was the first, maybe it was the second, but I'm pretty sure the very first Young Stars tournament was 2010, and by far the best player on the ice, as I watched from Toronto on live streams, was was, uh, was a guy I'd literally never heard of before, named Chris Tanev. Yeah. The next year, it was Eddie Lack who stole the show. You know, like he was head and shoulders better than everyone else. I remember watching Yo Levy struggle there, you know, and um, and then I think about last year. And, I mean, we were talking about it. I came back, and I couldn't stop talking about, like, I was like, "Niels Amon's an NHL player. Like, mm. he just is. He's an NHL player. Do and we- Tristan Nielsen, another standout. Tristan year, Nielsen. Right?
0: And eventually he gets, you know.
1: Linus Carlson, too. Archdeep Baines. I mean, you could kind of tell. Um, another example, like, I remember going up, and Troy Stetcher was a guy I'd, you know, interviewed once and, and covered when they signed him out of North Dakota, mostly because it was interesting that he was a local kid and that he was Brock Besser's college teammate. But you could see it immediately. Mm. You could see it immediately. And he he played four games in the AHL before he was a full-time NHL player. He remains a full-time NHL. Like, he still hasn't cleared waivers since or been reassigned since. So, you know, there is meaningful data to glean about which players are prepared, which players are setting themselves up to, you know, make an assault on – You know, a roster spot at training camp or or a top of the lineup spot in the American League for Philip Johansson. Like if Philip Johansson is an everyday player for forget in the NHL, if he's an everyday player in the American League who when injuries crop up, moves up the lineup and maybe like it's a hard decision to move him back down. If that's all he achieves next season, like that's a win. Mm. That's fantastic for his first North American pro season. Um, But that's where our expectations should be based on the data we have in my view. He could change that, though. Like, I could be st- sitting here on Tuesday of next week and being like, oh, boy, watch for this guy. So uh, really a blank canvas ahead of him. But uh, but I think that's the reason why he sort of seems to be on the outside looking yeah, in. And, again, it's just a pretty crowded
0: picture. at the, the, the Super the, the, But From the bottom of the NHL roster to the top of the AHL roster on defense, is there's a lot of bodies. There's a lot of plausible names there for the Canucks. So somebody has to kind of drop out of uh, – of those rankings and end up towards the bottom of the AHL roster. Uh, Tambir text in, I think building off your point about Johansson and how he looks really interesting tournament coming up for Daniela Klimovich, given the years of his age, but also the years of AHL experience, the two years of AHL experience he has under his belts, how he looks in an environment like this one in Penticton is going to be fascinating.
1: When I saw him at Penticton last year, it was the first time I ever saw it. Right. I mean, so much of what I've heard with Klimovich, even from the scouts that like him, you know the 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 shot. Like I'd never seen it all come together, you know. And then in Penticton last year, there were all these pop passes. He found instant chemistry with Nielsen. Um, his offensive awareness, the the potential that caused him to be, you know, the the forty first overall selection at the twenty twenty NHL draft. Like it, it it all of a sudden was apparent to me. And then when I saw him play in Abbotsford a couple times last year, it it no longer was. Mm -hmm. Like, it was different again. So, you know, I expect him to dominate at this tournament, but I saw him dominate at this tournament last year. So, for him, yes, this is, like, a a nice opportunity to start the season off on a good foot. But what I want to see is more... Like, I want to see him get a meaningful opportunity with NHL players in the preseason, which, by the way, is an opportunity earned at an NHL training camp. But I want to see him be at that level. I want to see it be a hard decision for them to cut him. And then I want to see him sustain, like, that level of production and creativity. And, by the way, discipline, because well, that's one of his and, one of the and, drawbacks in his game for, like, months on end in the regular and season. And speaking of earning opportunities,
0: earn a really big opportunity at Abbotsford. Bigger than he has had in the last couple yeah. of years. Understandably, that he hasn't had in the last
1: couple of years, but it's time to claim that role at Abbotsford. Top line, PP1. Yeah. That that should be a baseline expectation for him, uh, without doubt. Uh, we got to go. We will be back. Continue to look ahead to
0: training camp and the Young Stars Tournament tomorrow. Uh, up next, I believe, is the People Show with Bick Nazar. Keep it right here. It is Canuck Stock, uh, Sportsnet 650.